regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am so glad you're with us on the program today. It was a another Bruin-free day at the Supreme Court. Uh, no decision released in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Although, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas did have a hand in two of the three opinions that were released today. There is uh, one case outstanding from November's oral arguments, and it is the Bruin case. And uh, there's also two justices left from the uh, November oral arguments who have not released a majority opinion. That would be uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Clarence Thomas. So uh, all eyes again still on the Supreme Court as we await their decision in Bruin. My guess is it's going to be uh, one of the last cases released, which could mean be early July uh, at this rate before the uh, final decisions come down. Uh, as we await the Bruin decision, however, gun control advocates are still making their case for the uh, Supreme Court to either uphold New York's may issue carry laws or to uh, to issue a ruling that is so narrow uh, that it basically doesn't do much at all. One of the uh, latest uh, to write about how the uh, Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms should be uh, evolving towards uh, uh, non, basically towards nullification, uh, toward, towards a, a non-right whatsoever. Uh, Eleanor Clift at the Daily Beast, who uh, has a completely unhinged and uh, ahistorical reading of the right to keep and bear arms, uh, in which he says that, quote, what is standing in the way of the common sense gun regulation that supermajorities of Americans want is not the Second Amendment, it's politics. And she says, how we got to the Heller decision in 2008 expanded and lionizing gun rights, quote, is a story about political mobilization on the right in the 1980s. It was a multi-pronged effort by the NRA and its allies to weaken gun laws at the state level and support academic and opinion pieces that extolled firearms for self-defense, quoting Daryl Miller, co-director of the Duke Center for Firearms Law. Uh, who goes on to say, it didn't fall from the skies with the Heller decision. It was a long 20-year runway of changing the conversation that culminated in Heller. And he cites the impact of an article published in the Yale Law Review in 1989 by constitutional scholar Sanford Levinson, a noted liberal, as Cliff writes, that was titled The Embarrassing Second Amendment. Levinson chided his fellow liberals for being quick to defend individual rights like those of criminal defendants while shunning the Second Amendment. The piece, says Cliff, was heralded by conservatives' prominent columnist George Will among them. Yeah, but Sanford Levinson wasn't a tool of the gun lobby. And you didn't have to be a tool of the gun lobby or a conservative to recognize that the text of the Second Amendment confers or protects an individual right to keep and bear arms, which, again, is completely the opposite of what Eleanor Clift and other gun control advocates want it to mean. She writes, quote, since Heller. A vision of the Second Amendment as an instrument to prevent most gun control has taken hold, yet no court has ever said that and no founder ever said that. This aspirational vision is something gun rights activists have just made up, says Adam Winkler, author of Gunfight, the Battle over the Right to Bear Arms in America. It's their wish, and they've been fighting to institutionalize it, and they've been successful. She says they've been so successful that in the 14 years since the Heller decision, Congress hasn't passed any gun regulation or reform. Now, keep in mind that in the 14 years before the Heller decision, Congress didn't pass any gun control legislation either, <laughs> which 
again, undercuts the argument that, well, uh, they're, they're, people are just pointing to Heller and saying, ah, you can't have any gun control laws. Listen, there are plenty of gun owners who say that any gun control law is, in fact, an infringement of the right to keep and bear arms. There are gun control advocates who say that no gun control law that you could come up with is ever going to violate the Second Amendment. And then the courts weigh those arguments. And for the most part, the Supreme Court has been quiet since Heller. And despite the claims by Adam Winkler, there have been plenty of gun control laws that have actually been upheld by lower courts, including the Ninth Circuit, which has upheld gun control laws 51 out of 51 times. Although right now, I suppose it's technically 51 out of 52 times because the Ninth Circuit, there was a three-judge panel that recently declared that California's ban on sales of so-called assault weapons to those under the age of 21, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds violates the Constitution. It's expected that an en banc review of the Ninth Circuit is going to rehear that case and likely uphold that law. Again, as they've done 51 times in the past uh, since Heller. So I don't I don't buy Winkler's argument that uh, well you know the, the, the courts have just uh, you know gone oh after an unfettered right here I wish that were the case but that's not the case. However, it's also wrong to suggest that this all came about because of the gun lobby and its allies in the 1980s. Let's go back to the 19 year the the 70s, the 1770s, and the Pennsylvania State Constitution that the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of themselves. And the state. And as standing armies in the time of peace are dangerous to liberty, they ought not to be kept up, and then the military should be kept under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. 1777 Vermont, that the people have a right to bear arms to the defense of themselves and the state, and then the corresponding language thereafter. From the very beginning, before this country was even a country, the right of the individual citizen to bear arms in self-defense was recognized at the state level, and the phrasing of the Second Amendment was meant to convey that same protection at the federal level as well. And this has continued virtually unabated since 1776, 1802-0 Ohio, that the people have a right to bear arms for defense of themselves and the state, and to stand in armies in times of peace are dangerous to liberty, they shall not be kept up, and that the military should be kept under strict subordination of the civil power. Compare that to the revised constitutional amendment that Ohio passed in 1851. The people have the right to bear arms for their defense and security, but standing armies in times of peace are dangerous to liberty. And again, they, they had the opportunity to go back and say, hey, man, people are misreading this to, to be an individual right. We better change this language. But they didn't. They kept that language in. Imagine that. 1857, Oregon. The people shall have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state, but the military should be kept in strict subordination to the civil power. Uh, 1868, Texas. Every person shall have the right to keep and bear arms in the lawful defense of himself and the state under such regulations as the legislature may prescribe. Uh, 1876, Colorado, the right of no person to keep and bear arms in defense of his home, person, and property, or in aid of the civil power, when thereto legally summoned, shall be called in question. But nothing herein shall be construed to justify the practice of carrying concealed weapons. Again, you could openly carry, right? As long as you could carry, as long as you could bear arms in some form or fashion. Now, today, concealed carry is seen as the norm, and open carry is seen as uh, what's somewhat unusual. But again, throughout history, we can go to the 1900s. 
1912 Arizona, the right of the individual citizen to bear arms in defense of himself or the state shall not be impaired, but nothing in this section should be construed as authorizing individuals or corporations to organize, maintain, or employ an armed body of men. 1912 New Mexico, the people have the right to bear arms for their security and defense, but nothing herein should be held to permit the carrying of concealed weapons. That was revised, by the way, in New Mexico in 1986. To read, no law shall abridge the right of the citizen to keep and bear arms for security and defense, for lawful hunting and recreational use, and for other lawful purposes. But nothing herein shall be held to permit the carrying of concealed weapons. No municipality or county shall regulate in any way an incident of the right to keep and bear arms. New Mexico is now one of the shall-issue states, one of the 42 shall-issue states. Uh, and I believe open carry is also still legal in uh, New Mexico. The last state to incorporate uh, right to keep bear arms language in the state constitution was Wisconsin in 1998. The people have the right to keep and bear arms for security, defense, hunting, recreation, or any other lawful purpose. So, again, you want to make the case that the Second Amendment meant something different at some point in our past? I mean, you can try, but that's just not accurate. And again, the the people, the American people, have uh, viewed the Second Amendment or their state analogs as protecting an individual right to keep up arms since the beginning of this country, which is one of the reasons, frankly, why we haven't had a lot of Second Amendment cases, because we haven't had a lot of the type of gun control laws on the books, like Washington, uh, D.C.'s ban on handguns, that would prompt Supreme Court review. Really, not until the last 50 years or so have we gotten to that point in the gun control debate. Now, you could argue, in fact, I would argue, that the uh, efforts that Clift and uh, Miller described uh, starting in the 1980s was actually pushed back on the types of gun restrictions we saw in the 1960s and the 1970s, including D.C.'s ban on handguns, which was passed in 1976, Chicago's ban on handguns, which was passed in 1981, Massachusetts' failed referendum to ban handguns, which also went before the voters in 1976. They rejected that referendum outright. Again, that was a response to the attempts to criminalize the right to keep and bear arms. But according to Clift... And other anti-gun activists, oh, no, no, no. This was simply uh, the, uh, the, the the radical gun lobby, right? And they're not fighting for the right of self-defense. They are, quote, willing to sacrifice children's lives on the altar of gun rights. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that, again, you can disagree with uh, the best way to reduce violent crime. It's not that you can believe that going after law-abiding citizens instead of focusing on violent criminals or the severely mentally ill and those proven to be dangerous is the best way to go. No, 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 no. If you don't buy into what they're pitching, you just don't care about children's lives. They said, again, this is a long road that began in 1977 when the hard right took over the NRA convention in Cincinnati. After that, she says, the NRA shifted away from a sportsman's organization that had supported gun control measures in 1934 and in 1968, which, by the way, wasn't exactly true. The NRA did fight back against some of the proposals that were originally included in the Gun Control Act of 1968, but whatever. Clift, uh, you know, again, wants to, 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 to make it seem like all this changed in the 70s. The 1970s, as opposed to the 1770s. He writes, uh, quote, in the two centuries since the Second Amendment was ratified, no federal case had held that there was an individual right to keep and bear arms until the Heller decision, which, again, is also. I'm going to give that three Pinocchios. It's true that the Supreme Court did not take up a case specifically addressing the right to keep and bear arms. 
between Miller and, and Heller, but in no case that the court ever heard up until Heller did the court say there's no right to keep and bear arms. They obliquely referred to the right to keep and bear arms in some cases. And in Miller, for example, they said, well, the right applies only to those, not even the right applies, but the only weapons that are protected under the Second Amendment are those which are uh, have the most efficacy f- for service in a militia. Uh, and in this case, they said a, a short-barreled shotgun or a sawed-off shotgun uh, did not fall under the protection of the Second Amendment. But that would imply that there were, in fact, plenty of arms that were efficacious in the service of a militia that would have fallen under these Second Amendment protections. And they wouldn't need to fall under the Second Amendment protections, again, if we're talking about firearms that are issued by the National Guard, right? So I, I, I think it's a fundamentalist reading of Miller and some of these other decisions because Clift and other gun control advocates really want Americans to believe that this was something the Supreme Court just came up with uh, you know, out of thin air in uh, 2008. Because if they can convince Americans that this right didn't really exist until 2008, then it makes it easier to argue that the right should just disappear. And she says, quote, interpreting what the founders intended and how those intentions apply to modern life can change over time. For example, she writes, attitudes towards interracial marriage and same-sex marriage shifted over time, and the courts interpreted the Constitution to accommodate modern life. Initiated by grassroots activism, this is a pattern accepted by most people as a reasonable evolution of the way the Constitution is read and what the founders intended. Well, again, look at what has happened from grassroots activists in this country over the past, say, 40 years with the right to carry revolution. The vast majority of states have adopted shall-issue laws. Half the states have adopted constitutional carry laws. Not one state has seen fit to go back on those laws and go back to a may-issue system. So if you want to talk about the evolving Second Amendment, I would argue that it is, in fact, evolving to further recognize the fundamental nature of this individual right to keep and bear arms. It's just that Eleanor Clift doesn't think it's evolving in the right way. Well, the Constitution means what it says, and the uh, not just the text of the Second Amendment, but the history and the tradition of how that right has been exercised in this country since its ratification in 1791 indicates that, again, there are still tens of millions of Americans who understand that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to keep and bear arms for self-defense, regardless of what the chattering class in D.C. might have to say about it. All right, let's move our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will uh, start there with a, a story out of Mississippi, where a, a teenager has surrendered after a 12-year-old was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. And this is actually the second teenager to surrender. Well, second teenager taken into custody. 19-year-old Cartesia Shanta Cashin has been charged with murder, aggravated assault, as well as a drive-by shooting. Uh, 18-year-old Otha Brown has also been charged with murder. Uh, he was arrested the, the day after the shooting took place uh, back on May 26th. Now, here's the thing. Uh, WLB-TV reports that the 18-year-old Otha Brown Charged now with murder, also charged with carjacking while armed, charged with carrying a concealed weapon by a felon, as well as violation of probation, which raises the question, why was this 18-year-old felon on probation? And not, say, behind bars for his felony offense. 
Because if he had been behind bars at age 18 for his felony offense, chances are this drive-by shooting wouldn't have happened. And the 12-year-old who was shot and killed would be alive today. We don't know exactly what uh, charges Arthur Brown had originally faced, but uh, again, we do know that uh, he did very little to no time behind bars for those crimes, since he was, uh, again, out on the street with a felony record and uh, somehow managed to illegally obtain a firearm that, uh, according to authorities, he allegedly used in the commission of this drive-by shooting, taking the life of a uh, 12-year-old child and uh, injuring the uh, 12-year-old's brother as well. Today's armed citizen story, also from Mississippi, uh, Natchez, Mississippi, where police say a homeowner fired a warning shot before ultimately killing an intruder. This was Friday morning about 6.15, according to law enforcement officers uh, in Adams County. Dispatchers say they got a call uh, from 911 uh, just before 6 o'clock Friday morning about an unwanted person on uh, Johnson Circle in Natchez. As officers were on their way, the caller is actually on the phone with 911. As the situation continues to escalate, uh, Adams County Sheriff Travis Patton says the suspect began to break windows around the residence, found an unlocked metal security door under the carport, and then he opened that door and then started to try to kick in the door behind that one. Once that second door was breached, the homeowner fired a warning shot first and then fired another shot, which stuck the uh, suspect in the arm. That bullet then uh, proceeded on hitting the suspect in the chest. He was pronounced dead on arrival. Sheriff says the homeowners don't know this guy. Identified as 35-year-old Gary Harris. Uh, and they don't know why Harris targeted the home. Apparently, he tried to break into another house uh, there in Natchez before he targeted this particular home. Uh, the sheriff says, we don't know why he was at that house. He did the same thing in another residence up the street as well. Uh, the sheriff also says homeowners were taken to the sheriff's office for questioning, but it appears that they were acting defensively. He said, uh, quote, while the subject was beating on the windows and doors, the homeowner screamed several times for him to leave, making it clear that he wasn't wanted there. Even after he fired the warning shot, he continued trying to get into the residence. And again, that is when he was fatally shot by the homeowners inside. Finally today, our good deed of the day from California, where about a half dozen good Samaritans who helped an officer who was shot with his own firearm by a suspect on the San Diego freeway were honored and recognized by the California Highway Patrol. This was uh, last Thursday. The uh, shooting itself happened back in April. Uh, and uh, the officer in question, uh, Antonio Pacheco, was uh, shot by a suspect who had gotten a hold of his gun as they were uh, struggling on the freeway. And there were a number of people who saw what was going on and, and, and stopped to aid the officer. One of them, uh, Louis Youssef, was one of the first to arrive at the scene. He and others, according to NBC San Diego, held the suspect down a knife point. And then Yusuf went to Officer Pacheco and helped him call his wife because he wanted to get in touch with her. He said, uh, I can hear her. She was on the speaker. He told her he got shot, and she started screaming. He said the call was probably a good 10 seconds, and he had to hang up as he was in horrible pain. Uh, Yusuf said, it would have happened to me. The officer would do the same for me, and I would do it again and again. Pineda Zayego uh, was a, another individual who stopped and says he would do it again. He said, when I saw that they were fighting, I told my wife she stopped the car, and I ran right away to the police to help. Uh, one of the other individuals, a nurse, uh, Hunter Namath, who applied a tourniquet to Pacheco's leg to stop it from bleeding. The uh, suspect, 25-year-old Yuao Du, faces charges of attempted murder by, of a police officer, taking a firearm from an officer, as well as causing great bodily injuries, pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. 
Uh, and uh, Officer Pacheco is expected to recover from his injuries, uh, although police say he does have a uh, pretty long road of rehabilitation ahead of him. But uh, again, he is alive, was able to see his wife, uh, thanks in large part to the quick thinking and the fast actions of those good Samaritans who, uh, again, were honored, received a standing ovation from the California Highway Patrol last Thursday, and uh, we thank them for their very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Don't forget, if you like what you see or hear, head over to BearingArms.com. We've got even more Second Amendment news and information for you, and uh, we're updating the website throughout the day. Make sure that you are caught up on everything you need to know about the uh, efforts to restrict and protect your right of arms self-defense. Uh, you can also become a VIP subscriber at Barian Arms. Just go to barianarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code DUNRIGHTS and you get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Not only will you be supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do at Barian Arms, but we're going to say thanks by giving you exclusive news stories, analysis, content you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. Now, we'll be back tomorrow with even more Barian Arms Cam and Company. But until then, be well. Be safe and be free.